This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Love this song. Hey everybody, this is Jan. You're listening to the Langpreneur Podcast and good that you're here with us today. Um, Of course, we have another interview for you today, but uh, let's first give you an update on what we have been doing here at Langpreneur. Lots of exciting things going on here. Um, So this month, we, at the beginning of this month, we actually launched our one-on-one coaching program. Has been really cool, really fulfilling, really it also has been a lot of fun, you know, working with some of you guys one-on-one, creating a strategy for the next six months and, you know, just very fulfilling, very rewarding work and also really cool to get to know some of you even better and learn more about your businesses and I have to say it has also been really eye-opening to see the potential that you guys, that some of you guys have in your business that you haven't been able to see before. So, really have been grateful for you know being able to help you with your businesses we only take on three new clients every month um in only a few days from now we start a new month so if you're interested and you want to learn more about the coaching program go to langpreneur.com forward slash coaching and uh yeah we will uh you can find the application form there to see if you qualify um, we were we were planning another mastermind event in Berlin actually later this year. Um, as some of you guys know, we ran an event called Langpreneur Business Breakthrough, which was a workshop where we thought some of you um, how to create a successful online language business. We did that online because of the whole COVID situation. And um, instead of organizing one event... We actually promised to organize two events. And uh, so, yeah, the workshop is going to be followed up by a mastermind weekend and network weekend in Berlin later this year. As soon as we get more clarity on the, uh, well, on the corona situation, I guess we will um, we will send out an email and ask you guys when you are available so we can very soon plan this weekend. Now... In October, our annual Langpreneur Mastermind event is supposed to be taking place in Greece, in Crete. Um, again, we haven't been able to sell any tickets yet because of all the uncertainty. We're still not sure if international travel is going to be allowed. But if you're interested in joining an event with other Langpreneurs, you know, we're going to rent a villa with a private chef, um, swimming pool. I don't think we have a jacuzzi this year, but... <laughs> A stunning view and, of course, more importantly, there's going to be great company, you know, 10 other like-minded Langpreneurs and we're basically going to spend four or five days masterminding and helping each other, um, taking our businesses to the next level, really, you know, creating this strategy for the rest of, let's say, well, for, for, for a year, right? And we do it with all the Langpreneurs and I've, you know, I'm always very... Um, very surprised to see you know how productive these events are because most of us we work alone right but then imagine if you put 10 people as smart as you you know who are on a similar journey if you put those 10 people together for five days in a very inspiring environment with good vibes with prosecco or cava with wine and you know with a lot of good reasons to have interesting conversations mastermind sessions there's just magic that happens and i've witnessed this twice Uh, we did the first year in tenerife last year we did the split really looking forward to our next annual mastermind event in crete but again i'm still not sure if we can do it if you're interested go to langpreneur.com forward slash mastermind and uh yeah you can uh get more information and you can also apply and um, actually join our waiting list so that as soon as this event 
has been confirmed we can actually send out a notification okay that way you don't miss out so um yeah these are like the things that um that we have been busy with here at Langpreneur. Live events is uh, well, one of my favorite things to do here. Um, I've also interviewed lots of interesting Langpreneurs here for the podcast. We'll uh, be publishing this episode over the next few weeks. If you have any suggestions for people that you want me to interview, then go to our Facebook group. Um, it's called Langpreneur Events. And every now and then, you know, I... I ask you guys for input. So join the community, connect to all the line minus lampreneurs virtually. You can do that in that Facebook group. So yeah, I think um, I think it's about time to start with today's interview. So today I have John on the podcast from Language Mastery. Language Mastery is uh, well originally it was a blog, but later on. Uh, John also started a podcast and he has been doing this for 10 years. So he has learned, he has, he has made lots of mistakes, but he has also learned some really valuable lessons that he's going to share with us today here on the podcast. So some of the things that you're going to learn in this episode, uh, we're going to talk about John's background and his personal motivation to start a blog and a podcast. Also, we're going to talk about how you can get people on your podcast interview, or sorry, on your podcast or on your YouTube channel, you know, even if you're just getting started, even if you're just getting started and you're, you're still a nobody. <laughs> We're also going to talk why you should sell bundles and not books. Actually, it could be the same thing, but just why you shouldn't call it books, basically. And, um, you know, we're also going to talk about some of the benefits and challenges of being a Langpreneur. So maybe you're new to this and you're not 100% sure if this is something for you. John is going to share his experiences, some of the things that you need to take into account if, you, if you're planning to build an online language business. And uh, yeah, we're also going to talk about how you can co become comfortable in front of the camera or a mic. Because content creation, you know, to some people, this is something that quite easily I mean blog some people find it easy to blog but these days you know video is becoming more and podcast actually as well is becoming more and more popular but it's not an easy thing to do right getting on get on you know in front of a camera and and, and you know be yourself and uh, and and say what you have to say basically what I'm doing here now as well I'm sitting here alone in my room it's kind of weird to just talk to a microphone right but I know that you guys are listening, so that makes it that makes it a little bit easier. Anyway, we're going to talk about that as well. So how to become, how to overcome that fear of putting yourself out there and talking to a camera or a mic. Um, that was it. So if you guys are ready, then just let's get started with this interview. Here is my interview with John. Hey, John, welcome to the Langpreneur podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and language learning and how you got started with your podcast. Sure. Well, thank you very much for having me, first off. Uh, yeah, so the long and short of it, uh, I majored in linguistics in college, university, mm -hmm. and I got really interested in both Japanese, learning myself as a non-native speaker, but then also I did what's called uh, TESOL, teaching English to speakers of other languages. So how to teach English to native speakers. So there are mm -hmm. sort of two parallel tracks going at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I was really fascinated both in how to learn languages most effectively, but also how to teach them most mm -hmm. effectively. And right after graduating university, I went to Japan as part of mm -hmm. the JET program, which a lot of folks might be familiar with if they've been to Japan themselves, mm -hmm. taught uh, first year there in a very rural high school. I think I was, it was a town of about 6,000 folks and I was the only foreigner for many, many, many miles. So that was actually very good uh, for my Japanese. Yeah. It's like, if you want to have a social life, you're going to do it in Japanese. So, so that was, that helped take my broken Japanese to more or less spoken fluency, at least in a year. Yeah. And then my second year in Japan, I actually, I had the opportunity to work in a, government office so sort of a uh in japan they have prefectures and so mm -hmm. I, I worked for the prefectural government in the international relations department 
most of my time there was basically being a translation uh, machine, <laughs> uh, translation monkey. I uh, did a little bit of interpreting also. And I was also a sort of uh, counselor for all of the English teachers that were in that prefecture. So yeah. I, got to, I got to use a little bit of my experience teaching to help others do so. And um, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting experience. But all said and done, I was only in Japan uh, two years. Mm -hmm. But I, I did a lot of learning and a lot of living in those, those two years. Yeah. And what, what did you study at university? Linguistics. Oh, linguistics. Okay. Yeah. So that includes also interpreting. And not, not actually, no. I, never, I was never formally trained in translation okay. or interpreting. That's something I had to learn on the go uh, when I had that job the second year in Japan. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't recommend doing that. Definitely, if you want to get into translation, uh, <laughs> learning how to do it, uh, you know, kind of groping in the dark with both hands is not a great strategy. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you do today with uh, Language Mastery. Sure. So I started Language Mastery in 2009 mm -hmm. while I was living in Taiwan, actually which was my sort of second international experience. Um, I was there all said and done about five years in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And the genesis of it was having both learned languages as a learner and having taught languages as a teacher mm -hmm. uh, and having studied linguistics in school and knowing sort of how languages are acquired. I grew, I was growing increasingly frustrated with the disconnect between how I thought languages should be learned and taught and how they're actually taught in classrooms. Mm -hmm. uh, the latter being usually pretty abysmal. <laughs> yeah. no, you know, it's, there's this idea that if you consciously study a language, then you'll be able to use it. And that's yeah. not true. Uh, mm -hmm. At least in my philosophy and you know, what I've learned myself is this isn't the matrix. You know, you can't download a language into your head. The only mm -hmm. way you can actually acquire a language is to get lots and lots of input and then lots and lots of practice. Outputting. Yeah. So I started the blog originally almost just as a place where I could rant about what I was frustrated about in the language industry. My girlfriend at the time was, I think, getting a little bit tired of hearing me complain and rant about it. And so it was sort of just a catharsis, you know, a place for me to kind of get my thoughts out. Frustration outlet. Yeah, exactly. To a more receptive audience. Well, not that there was any audience in the beginning, but. Uh, you know, a blank page or a blank blog post is a good listener. So, so that was the original genesis. Um, but then around that same time, I think it was reading the four hour work week, uh, or maybe one of Chris Gilbo's, Chris Gilbo's books. I, I forget the original inspiration, but I, I started learning more about online business and this mm -hmm. idea of being a sort of digital, uh, solopreneur, you know, digital nomad type of idea. And that was really, uh, attractive to me, this idea that you could work wherever you want, whenever you want, on whatever you want. Mm -hmm. and, and so I thought, okay, now how can I turn this from just a, a hobby slash form of catharsis into actually some, something that can create into a business? Yeah. Uh, and so I thought, I started thinking about what I could create. And the first thing I did was I, I wrote a guide called Master Japanese. And I mm -hmm. released that in 2010, December 2010. Mm -hmm. And that was my first thing that I ever sold. And uh, it, it did a lot better actually than I expected uh, for some various reasons that we can go into. Mm -hmm. I'm now, you know, 10 years later on version nine of that. And it's, it's still, still going strong. So mm -hmm. where to who did you sell that book in the beginning? Were, were these like, were you selling this to the, to your followers? Did you already have a mailing list, for example, or did you publish it on Amazon, or how do you sell it? And how do you know that people would buy a book about learning Japanese? Like, was your blog mainly focused on Japanese, or tell us a little bit about sure. that process, like how you came up with the idea and how you sold it? Yeah, so the blog was not specifically about Japanese in the beginning, and in fact, it wasn't until very recently. That's something I've sort of begrudgingly done is niche down, which mm -hmm. is something that, you know, you talk a lot about and, and Ollie as well. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's something that 
that was definitely a mistake. I, I should probably from the very beginning have just branded it and focused it around Japanese specifically. Yeah. But, you know, I, I always had interest in lots of different languages. And so I was always reluctant to, to narrow it down to just, just one. Cause I, you know, I also speak Mandarin to some, some level and I, I have another book, Master Mandarin. And, uh, I've had dreams of doing other languages as well once I learned them. So that's always been a kind of a, there's been some resistance around that, but I know from a business perspective that it's definitely much, much more ideal to have a very narrow specific niche. Mm -hmm. so it's a difficult decision to make, right? Because many of us also many, many people that I interview here on the podcast, including myself, we are passionate about language learning. We are passionate about, about French, about Spanish, Japanese, Persian, um, but it's difficult to sell that, right? Like if right. you have a following, like for example, at Language Boost, we have follow our followers are interested in, in more than twenty languages. So every right. day we receive emails. Jan, when is your Finnish course coming Exactly. Out? Yeah, it's when a little bit of a Pandora's box. Like, yeah. Like yeah, it's like if you if your whole audience is focused or is interested in only one language, you only have to create one product. Only have to you only have to work on one funnel. Um, exactly. Yeah. So. But you decided to to niche down. Yeah, recently, yeah. Again, kind of kicking and screaming, but I think it's the right choice. Mm -hmm. uh, but going back to your question, so I did not have a big audience at the time. Uh, not that I really do now either, but I, I have a minimum viable audience. I guess that's the, the way to describe it. And yeah. even then, I think this was you know, pretty early on in internet years. So this was 2009, 2010. So yeah. I think it was a lot easier then to get noticed in some mm -hmm, ways. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. I also, as part of creating sort of a package, a digital package of, of offerings, I didn't just sell the book. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I didn't call it a book. This is something uh, Chris Gillibo talks about, as well as mm -hmm. uh, Nathan Berry, the author of Authority, is don't call it a book, call it a guide. Yeah. One tip I got early on, because people hear the word book, they do the math and they think uh, a book should be $10 or $20. Yeah. But if it's a guide, then it sort of breaks the, the pattern a little bit and they can think about it more independently as its own thing. Yeah. Um, I also learned from those two guys to do packages. Don't just try to sell a single individual guide or book, sell it as a package. And so part of that package I first created had expert interviews. And so mm -hmm. I reached out to a bunch of different, folks that I really admired, you know, people that had written books that I, I really liked in, in about Japanese or learning Japanese. Uh, at the time, there was a guy, Katsumoto, who runs the blog or ran the blog all Japanese all the time. It's not really active anymore. But at the time, mm -hmm. he was kind of the biggest voice in that space. Yeah. And the beauty was not only did I befriend a lot of these folks through interviewing them, but then they helped promote it too because I had an oh, affiliate wow. program, which is a hugely, huge, important thing. If you're yeah. going to sell any kind of digital product online, definitely make sure you have affiliate stuff ready to go because yeah. then they'll help promote it. You know, they get 50% and then you get 50% each sale. Yeah. Well, that's a really interesting idea that you're sharing here. So you're basically saying for everyone who has like a, a cheap ebook or, or someone like a, yeah, let's call the ebook a cheap book online for like twenty dollars. So what you're saying here is basically repackage it, call it a bundle, yes. interview experts in the field. Yes, and then you know make those experts enthusiastic about what you have, so that they start sharing it with their audiences exactly. as well. So this way, you do not only generate more revenue from your own audience, but you also actually um, can use it as a way to reach out to to new audiences, audiences right. of those experts that you interviewed. Right. Yeah. Anything? Yeah. Yeah. And I'd add there too, that that was probably another element of what made it as, you know, made it at least at a minimum level successful was definitely connecting with others that already had existing audiences because I didn't have a big enough audience yet to, to have made it a, mm -hmm. a profitable yeah. undertaking at the time. Uh, Benny Lewis was another early on we, we connected and, uh, with him, I did a few guest posts, mm -hmm. especially back when, when blogging was more, I think, a, a bigger deal. It seems to kind of have, things are moving over toward, toward YouTube and, and podcasts these days, but back around that time, 
I think blogging has a bigger impact. And so mm-hmm. writing guest posts for other blogs and then again, offering them an affiliate deal. So if yeah, they've linked to the, the book in the post and then they would get 50% of each sale they generated. That was mm-hmm. very, very, very uh, powerful. Mm-hmm. How do you reach out to new affiliates? And how do you make sure that you're not competition? Because you said like those experts, they also promoted your work. Weren't they selling anything themselves? Or? Most do. Uh, I think one of the reasons why they were willing to help promote it, in Benny's case at the time, he didn't yet have anything for Japanese. So that mm-hmm. was sort of a win-win. It sort of filled a hole, I think, in his arsenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, with like Katsumoto from All Japanese All the Time, I think he was willing to promote it because it, even though it covered very similar ground to the stuff he had, uh, he, he liked how, how detailed the guide was and how I was very, very patient with walking people through exactly how to set up uh, an immersion environment. I should probably tell people what Master Japanese is. So it's yeah. not a book or a guide that teaches you Japanese directly. That's never been my, my goal. It's mm-hmm. teaching you how to learn and how mm-hmm. to set up an immersion environment no matter where in the world you are. And then that mm-hmm. environment is what actually will quote unquote teach you the language. Yeah. So I, I think, I think the focusing on the how part also helps set it apart because there's lots mm-hmm. of Japanese textbooks out there. There's lots of, uh, you know, podcasts and things out there that already go into just teaching you the language directly, which is fine. It has its place, mm-hmm. but that's sort of how I've differentiated myself over the years is more about teaching people how to fish than just giving them the fish. Mm-hmm. Are you selling the book or the uh, well, the bundle as you call it on your website, or you also promote it, or you also sell it through like Amazon, let's say? And what's the the advantage or the disadvantage of uh, well, of the both? Sure. So up till very recently, I only sold it through my website, and that mm-hmm. was something I had learned from Chris Gilbo and from Nathan Barry, who I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I intentionally did not put it on Amazon actually till very, very, very recently. The reason being, if this is going to be a business, you, most people are going to probably not make enough income through something like Amazon alone. Because mm-hmm. the, even though the margins of selling, you know, self-publishing through Amazon, through Amazon KDP, for example, Kindle Direct Publishing, yeah. you get a much larger percentage than you would if you were going through a traditional publisher. Mm-hmm. But it's still not nearly as much as selling through your own website. I mean, through, through your website, you get... Like if you use something like Gumroad, which I do as mm-hmm. the, the shopping cart, basically, mm-hmm. uh, you get almost all of the pie. They, they take a tiny little percentage to cover the fee, but you yeah. get, get all the rest. So, and, so do, they, do they print the books and send it to the client? Or oh, what, what, I should say these are digital only. So, okay, these are digital. Okay. Yeah, so that, that was another uh, choice that I made very early on was to only do digital to not worry about doing a physical version very recently just this last october i did finally decide to make a print version of master mm-hmm. japanese and that is available on amazon but that really that's not so much a business decision that is more just people had asked you know my mm-hmm. readers and my my uh, followers had for years been wanting a physical book and i get it i i'm a total librophile i love physical books myself mm-hmm. uh but i so much of the value of the guide was that I included links directly to resources I recommended. Mm-hmm. And so be able to click on a link I thought was part of the value proposition. Yeah. And so I, I thought, well, in a physical book, you can't obviously click on a link. Yeah. Uh, I got around that eventually by just making short URLs using bit.ly, mm-hmm. you know, kind of easy to pronounce or type URLs. So that's sort of the, the compromise I made. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I don't, I don't really make that big of a percentage of my income from Amazon. Even now it's still almost, I would say 95% of my income comes from selling through my website. Yeah. Selling just the digital versions, the digital packages we talked about. Yeah, exactly. Because you cannot really sell a package on Amazon, right? You cannot. Plus another big disadvantage of Amazon is you have no direct relationship with your customer. Yeah. You don't get their email. You don't. You don't know who, who bought it. Um, whereas, you know, every time I sell 
one of these packages or one of the guides through my website, I get their email. They automatically get added to ConvertKit with a tag that says they bought this guide or this package. Yeah. And then not only do I then have a direct relationship with them where I can reach out and ask them how things are going, see if there's anything that they wish was in the guide that wasn't or what was what resonated most with them. Um, but I also then can offer free updates. So that's one of the big value adds that I have yeah. offered from way back from day one is I, I offer lifetime updates. Mm -hmm. That's another way to offer. You can sell things at a little bit higher price point because they're not just getting this one-off thing. They're getting a lifetime basically subscription as it were uh, mm -hmm. to the content. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned that you published this book for the first time in 2010. So that basically means that this book has been selling for 10 years Yeah. without, well, what, what did you, I mean, was that on autopilot or like how, how passive has this? Basically, been? yeah, I, I know some other interviews you've had on the show, you know, they also don't like the word passive and I, I agree. <laughs> it's not, I, I think the best word is front loaded, Yeah. front loaded income uh, because it's a massive amount of work mm. in, in sort of cycles or periods. Um, but then, yeah, once it is up and selling, I don't have to touch it on a daily basis. I can step away from it for, you know, days, weeks, months. Uh, I, I regret to say I've even stepped away from language mastery a few times for years at a time as I've <laughs> gone into other careers or passions. Um, back in 2015, I got really interested in nutrition, in fact, and when got certified and ended up working for that nutrition school, it's actually where I met my wife. Uh, mm. So that was kind of a big uh, tangent away from language stuff. Um, so sadly, I, I, I kind of kept language mastery on life support for a few years at that time. But, it, you know, that's the beauty of it is that things kept selling uh, even yeah. when I, I didn't touch it for, yeah. for a long time. That's the big benefit of building an online business, right? I mean, it can generate, well, maybe not passive income. How do you call it? Front-loaded Front income? Front-loaded income, yeah. Exactly. So even in times where you're busy or, I don't know, yeah. you get married, you get a child, you get a, you, a job, um, things happen in life, then right. you can always go back and it, it, it's still there. It's, it's still, it's still exactly. selling. Right, right. Yeah, mm. and I, I, I really appreciate that fact and I, I like the freedom that it affords me because I'm definitely the type of person I, I like working in cycles. I you know, if I get really excited about something, I'll, I'll work like crazy for a few weeks straight. And then I'll usually want a week or two completely off. I'm, I, I'm a, I'm either all in or all off typically on most things. I can't, I can't half ass. I'm a whole asser. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's, that's been good. That's definitely been, it, it goes with my personality pretty well. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about your podcast because you're also the sure. host of the Language Mastery Podcast. Um, you originally started out with blogging. When did you start the podcast? And um, yeah, tell us a bit about podcasting. What has yeah. been your experience uh, as a podcast host? Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, I started the, let's see. Yeah, the blog started in 2009 and the podcast actually wasn't too long after that. I think April, I'm trying to think of the last, the first episode was. was not too, sometime in 2009. I'll have to look back in the, the records. But um, at first, it was really just an excuse to have conversations with my heroes. Mm -hmm. I, you know, people I, that I was had long admired in the either linguistics world or the language learning community. And having a show, it's a great way to get connected with somebody that might otherwise ignore you or you'd never have a, a good reason or excuse to have, you know, in-depth conversations with these people. So yeah. I, in fact, a lot of my friends now have come from people I've interviewed first on the podcast and then later have met in person at things like the polyglot gathering or other events mm. like this. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, that aspect of it definitely was really, really positive. Uh, I never thought of it, at least in the beginning, as part of the business per se. I, I, I didn't have a plan to monetize it. Mm -hmm. uh, and even to this day, you know, I don't allow advertising, for example, like third-party advertising. I will mention things about my own books or updates on the show. 
occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't have third-party advertising and it, it really was and remains more of a passion project than, than part of the business. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of things I could do probably from advice from you or others that could make it more, uh, more of an impact into the business. But mostly mm-hmm. I just do it out of, out of love and, and joy. Mm-hmm. I recently had a consultation call with, well, with another Langpreneur and he or she had the idea of starting her own podcast, but she was like, okay, who am I to interview others, to mm. interview others? Who am I to reach out to others? They, why should they say yes to me? I'm, I'm a nobody. Nobody knows right. me. What would you say to that? That's, that's a good question. And I definitely had that exact same feeling when I first started and I was blown away that so many people said yes. I mean, way back in 2009 or 10, when I had no reputation, people didn't know me from Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are a few things. One is I didn't just reach out out of the blue. I had already commented on their blogs, for example, for a while. And not just spammy comments, but you know, thoughtful, engaging comments on blog posts. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my own blog, which already had a decent amount of content. So when I sent them a link, of who I was, they could actually go see something. So I think that's important too. Um, it, so maybe to crystallize this is don't just reach out out of the blue and say, be on my show, you know, have mm-hmm. some kind of connection make sure they've already seen your name, whether it's commenting on their blog posts or on their social media posts or something like that, and actually have some modicum of content already on your blog or your website or your own YouTube channel, whatever your medium is, mm-hmm. uh, have, have a little bit of stuff already. So I think patience is a definitely an important part of this process is yeah. a lot of people, I think, jump right in and expect, uh, to get traction right away. And that, that's definitely not going to happen for most people. Yeah. I think another thing that I have to mention, which I think helps is that many of us, um, I think many of us Langpreneurs, we are really passionate about what we do, but we do not get to talk to other people in our industry on a daily basis, right? So right. if you go out there and you say like, hey, I'm the host of, of a Langpreneur, we interview, we interview a language entrepreneurs, um, and those people are like, oh, finally, finally, right, someone right. come me. So it's, I think for, for, many, for many guys, it's also, um, yeah, they want to be part of the community. One, they want to be connected. They want to be connected with other players in the field. They just don't want to miss out. I think that's something. Like recently, I got um, uh, an invitation from someone who invited me to get on her podcast, and she didn't have a following at all. I think I was a second episode. She was literally, well, not literally, but she really was nobody. But she asked if she wanted to do the. Um, she asked me to do the interview in French. Oh. And I was like, "Hey, that's 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 quite that's quite unique. I've never done that. That's uh, that's a challenge for me." So I decided to do it. I knew that I wasn't going to gain anything with it, probably, because she didn't have an audience. But right. she, she seemed to be a nice lady. It wasn't French. I was like, "Yeah, what? Why not?" So I think there can be many benefits for for those um, well for the, for the guests. Absolutely, you don't necessarily think about. And uh, yeah, as you said, it's a great way to to meet new people. I, I mean, we met well virtually met each other for the first time on your podcast. Indeed, actually. yeah, um, yeah, it's just a great way to to build your your network and to learn directly from all those people. Right. And other benefits that you have. Um, or any other things that you want to say about podcasting? Yeah. Other lengtheners do I think I think one of the beauties of podcasting and as well as YouTube videos is it allows people to know, like, and trust you, which yeah. is a requirement. If anyone's ever going to buy something from you, whether it's a course, coaching, a book, whatever it is, no one's going to click buy until they know, like, and trust you. And I, I think, just relying on blog posts, for example, it's really hard to see the real you through words on a page, mm-hmm. on, a, on a screen. But when they hear mm-hmm. your voice and they see your face, people can really get a feel for who you are and if you're somebody that they resonate with or not. And even though I don't, so far, at least in my own experience, there's not really a direct relationship between the podcast right into a purchase. I think mm-hmm. in the long run, playing the long game, I, I think 
it's a great way to build more trust and, and uh, emotional connection with, with followers and readers. Yeah, the thing is on Instagram and, and Facebook, people are just scrolling around, right? But right. a podcast. Right. Yeah, you're in, and a podcast, they're in your head or you're in their head, right? For 30 minutes or an hour. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's enough time to really, you get deep, you get personal, you get honest. It's not just a soundbite or a, a single photo or a single little snapshot in time. It's a, this long form, wide ranging uh, kind of expose of a, of a person. So, mm-hmm. so how do you monetize a podcast? What is the business? Well, as I was saying before, I, I don't think I have, <laughs> at least not probably, we could probably talk about this offline, but I'm sure there are a lot of ways I could be better at it. Yeah. Um, I do have calls to action, uh, every so often at the end of the show, you know, yeah. I tell them about my, my, you know, about master Japanese, for example, or if I'm, uh, have any kind of new offering I'll usually mention that at the very end of the show but I um, another way is you tell them that there are show notes for example and this is a way to get them to the website and then hopefully once they're on the website then they can get into a maybe like a free email series or something which I I have a free seven-day email course for folks learning Japanese yeah so that's that's the hope but I, I don't really have clear insight into how effective those conversions are, if at all. Mm-hmm. But so again, I, I look at it at this point, it's just, uh, I get it's, you know, it's part of the long game of building trust. Uh, and then also just for my own selfish reasons of having a great excuse to talk to folks that I admire and enjoy having mm-hmm. conversations. Yeah. So you have been running language mastery for about 10 years now. What are like some of the biggest lessons that you have learned so far? Mm, so many. I, <laughs> I've made a, I've made a lot of mistakes. Definitely. Uh, Tell us about your mistake first then. Sure. Um, let's see. So many, which, which to choose. <laughs> I, I wish I would have started doing videos earlier. So I'm just now about to start doing videos and trying to build out my YouTube channel, which is at this point is pretty much non-existent. I have, you know, I think just the audio version of my, some of my podcasts on there. So there's, there's nothing there yet, but, um, my, I have a background in improv and in, in comedy a little bit. And in fact, that was part of what I really enjoyed about teaching is it's basically just stand up comedy, at least the version of it that I did. Um, I, I really enjoy entertaining folks. And for some reason I've hidden behind words and and sort of behind the screen for all these years and not let my real goofy self out very much and so i wish i would have done that a lot earlier mm-hmm. definitely one big thing um i am a recovering perfectionist <laughs> and there's a lot of things i i would have done and could have done and should have done earlier i think had i not let perfectionism block me because really all perfectionism is is it's I can't remember who said it, but they called it designer fear. Mm-hmm. I think that's her. Uh, designer Elizabeth, fear. Elizabeth Gilbert. I think it was her. Yeah, she calls it designer fear. And it's, it's basically just you're wrapping fear up in this fancy blanket to make it more palatable to your brain. But mm. it's just fear. Uh, and there's a lot I, I, I could have done and would have done earlier, definitely, if I didn't let that block me. I think uh, you just interviewed Daniel Welsh on your show, and he, he talked yeah. about how he's not a perfectionist. Yeah. And that has allowed him to be so much more prolific over the years and get better at doing the thing. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but despite that, despite the, the limits of perfectionism, I, I did do a few things right at, to kind of bypass what otherwise would have blocked me from doing anything. One thing mm-hmm. that was really, really, really helpful when my first release master Japanese back in 2010, I, announced publicly that it was going to come out on a specific date. Mm. That is super, super important. If anyone out there is thinking about launching a course or a book or anything, make the announcement publicly. And when I say public, this could even be to just your friends and family. You just Mm -hmm. need, it has to be someone other than yourself that you've committed to doing this. Because otherwise, especially if you're a perfectionist like me, you'll just keep putting it off. You'll go, "Mm, it's not quite ready. I still need to add this, this, and this, or the 
you know, this part of it isn't quite right yet, or this could be better. And then you'll do that forever. And it will never, mm-hmm. you know, master Japanese would still be on my hard drive right now. If I hadn't told people that it was going to come out on December 20th, 2010 or whatever it was. Yeah. And you can always just make improvements, right? Right. Which I have. I mean, I'm on version nine now of master Japanese, like nine major updates with lots of tiny little updates. I'm a huge believer in there's the Japanese word Kaizen, just like constant mm-hmm. improvement. And so mm-hmm. I continually update these things and add in, you know, new resources. So they become available or I do a lot of, I'm a huge reader. And so as I read more about how the brain works and how habits are formed and how psychology impacts people's ability to learn, I, I will continually update and refine what's included in these guides. Yeah. So as you keep learning about, well, about everything, about learning languages, about Japanese, you make changes in your books and you make them even better right. based on what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, but had I not released it in the first place, I'd have nothing to improve on. Yeah. You, can't, you can't edit a blank page and you can't improve on a product that doesn't exist. Yeah. And sometimes releasing your products is also the only way to get feedback, right? And then 100%. listen to what your customers say. And that, that actually leads to another mistake that I've made as well that I'm getting better at now, which is actually just talking to your readership, yeah. asking them what do they want and what, you know, what format do they want? What content do they want? Yeah. It doesn't mean you do everything they say. You know, there's that old adage that if Henry Ford had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, mm-hmm. faster carriage, you know? And uh, so you have to take the feedback with a little bit with a grain of salt, but mm-hmm. it's so much easier to then create something based on what you already know people want and are willing to pay for than trying yeah. to guess and trying to just yeah. sit in your little yeah. uh, creator's cave and, mm-hmm. and create your thing and then say, okay, here it is. And be like, oh, I actually don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I go 100% agree. And I think it was Pat Flynn who said that, that everything changed once he started talking to his audience, to his customers. And we've actually done something similar at Langpreneur because, I mean, with Language Boost, for example, we just, you know, we sell language courses and yes, we do surveys and we've talked to a few of those people with Langpreneur. We, go to, we organize these live events. Um, we have one-on-one calls with our, with our students and this has changed so much. Like now when we have to write, for example, a sales page for Langpreneur, I just think about all these people that I know and I think about the things that they want. Right. And that's, that makes everything so much easier. So much in easier. Fact, yeah. In the beginning, it's scary, isn't it? Um, I wasn't, that was not something that was really part of my fear uh, hmm. per se. I, it's interesting because I definitely, I'm an introvert, but I'm not shy. I'm an hmm. outgoing introvert. Um, yeah. I mean, I love, as I said, I do, I've done improv. I love being on stage. Um, so that, that part of, of things connecting with people, that was never really something that scared me. Uh, it was more a matter of just how to do it. And I've tried doing surveys in the past, for example, uh, which had, you know, that was somewhat useful or interesting. I'll tell you probably the most powerful and useful form of connection and, and getting this feedback I've done. I did a little experiment recently doing one-on-one coaching, mm. which it's not something I intended to do long-term. It was just an experiment and I'm probably not going to stick with it at least as a, as part of the business, but it was so, so useful to have Mm -hmm. one-on-one connections with folks and to actually really dig into what their pain points were on an individual Mm -hmm. basis. And then from that, it's so much easier now to your point of being able to extrapolate to, to the wider audience of really speaking to the pain points. Yeah. and be able to even use the exact words that they use to describe where they're stuck or what they're frustrated with, with the upside of you're also getting paid. I mean, literally I'm, yeah, exactly I'm getting paid per hour to learn yeah. <laughs> in many ways and serve. I mean, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing because then you have this direct one-to-one uh, connection with somebody and you get to see them grow over, over the course of a few weeks. And it was really, really, really um, powerful and, and inspiring to be able to help people remove some blocks that they had and see them blossom right in front of your eyes in just a matter of days or weeks. It was, mm. 
it was really powerful, um, inspirational, to be honest. Yeah. So you have been doing this for 10 years now. If you had to start all over again, what would you do differently this time? Not hide behind words anymore? Not hide behind words. Yeah. Get my face and my voice out there front and center from day one. Mm-hmm. Doing a, yeah, doing a YouTube channel. Probably what I do. I mean, it's, it's a little bit hard to give this advice because it's not 2010. You know, it's not 2009, it's 2020 yeah. and things are very different now. But uh, because it is 2020, if I were to start today, I would probably make YouTube my primary vehicle. I'd make mm-hmm. video the primary medium. Mm-hmm. And then I would just take that video, you know, extract the audio, put that on the podcast, and then yeah. probably write a blog post or show notes for each video. And so yeah. the video would be the primary medium, mm. I think. Um, but I also would have done that differently. If we were to go back, I would have started doing video way back then too. And because yeah. there was much less uh, noise back then, I think I could have gotten much more traction much earlier on mm-hmm. with video. Um, yeah, being, being honest, vulnerable, being yourself, I, I don't know why I had this idea, but I think it's pretty common that I had to be serious, to be taken seriously. Yeah even though I'm a very goofy person, but for whatever reason I thought, Oh, and I, you know, may people are coming to me because I have this academic background in linguistics. And so I need to show, I need to be professor John. Mm-hmm. And yes, I think that is a, a little bit of a advantage I have over maybe some other folks in the space that I do have that, that training in linguistics, mm-hmm. but that's not why they're connecting with me. They could care mm-hmm. less. I think they, People want to resonate with somebody. They, they want to learn from somebody that they, they like and admire and, and feel like they can have a beer with, right? Yeah, and somebody who's not boring. Exactly, exactly. And that's uh, probably another thing too is I, in that effort to be serious, I think a lot of my, especially earlier content was probably pretty darn boring because <laughs> uh, I just, I wasn't letting the real me out. Mm. I talked to many YouTube is here on the podcast and you know every time I ask them so what's the success of your channel and they all agree that you shouldn't be boring you shouldn't try to be that 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 university teacher but instead right. just be just be yourself and, yourself. and show yeah. you know make it personal do a vlog in the language that you are teaching be friendly just talk to the camera like you talk to your friends and not be too right. serious you're basically saying the same thing here yep yeah I be yourself. I mean, it's hard though. That is definitely a challenge and it takes practice because, you know, as I said, I I have no problem being up on stage. And I've, when I was in Taiwan, I did business Mm -hmm. seminars in front of hundreds of people at a time at a place like IBM or some of the tech companies there, no problem. But for whatever reason, staring into the camera on your laptop or an Mm -hmm. iPhone or, or an actual video camera, probably because it's so foreign, it's so different from the kind yeah. of interactions that we're evolved to, to deal with. Mm. I find really intimidating and I'm still struggling now to get comfortable being myself, just talking yeah. into a black box. Yeah. I guess it's kind of an alter ego that you have to develop for yourself, mm. right? Like if you, I mean, in normal life, it's not hard to be yourself, but if you have to talk to a camera all of a sudden, that's, that's just so, it's very weird in the beginning, right? Very I think weird. the only way yeah. to become comfortable, comfortable at that's just by doing it over and over again. Yes. And then after a while, when someone points a camera at you, you can just, hey, Jan, this is, hey, Jan, sorry, no. How do I always do it? Hey, Jan, you're watching Language Woods. And in this video, you're going to look, right. you know, just it automatically yeah. you become that, that person. Exactly. But you have to develop that person. Right. And it's the same for podcasting, I guess. Do you have that same? I guess with podcasting, it's a bit different because we also, uh, we do a lot of interviews, right? So then it's more natural, I guess. Yeah. Do you have solo shows as well. How do you experience that difference? Definitely. Uh, in the same way, you know, doing the interview itself was always easy for me. But then recording the bumpers where I introduce the guest or I ask people <laughs> at the end to go to that part was always extremely uncomfortable and unnatural. Mm-hmm. And I'm still, I wouldn't say I'm hundred percent comfortable with it, but it definitely, as you said, gets easier with repetition and practice. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to the perfectionism thing, you're not going to be perfect when you start and you can't be. And the only way you're going to get better at these things is by actually doing them over and over and over. You can't skip the suck. 
You can't mm-hmm. skip sucking at something. So to anyone out there that, that wants to get started, you just got to start and just be okay with not being great yet. It's a um, bit like speaking a foreign language. It is exactly language. like speaking a foreign language indeed. Yeah, that, that's a perfect analogy. Um, yeah, it's going to feel awkward at first. You're going to stumble. Uh, with the video side of things, you know, one little thing I've been doing lately to help me get more comfortable talking into this black box is I use a, for journaling, I use an app called Day One. And each day I'll, you know, I'll write out my, what happened during the day, what I'm grateful for, my priorities for the next day. And I've been doing a uh, little short 30 second to one minute long video logs of the day too. Mm. No one will ever see it other than my wife, but mm. it's just like, it's a way to get used to speaking off the cuff into your computer. And that's, that's really, really helped. So hopefully uh, others out there can get that same benefit and there's no stakes, right? No one's ever going to see this. It's just habit of the habit building yeah. that, that memory, that muscle memory and, getting used to it. Mm-hmm. Now, um, tell us a little bit more about the benefits of running an online language business. You have been doing this for a while now. Uh, through the podcast, you managed to meet many of the people that you admired. It, it has generated a well, nice extra income for you over the years. What else? Is there more? Yeah, those are all wonderful benefits. Um, the... For me, really, the ability to, as I said, work when I want, where I want, how I want, and on what I want is super important. And mm-hmm. I have, I've had many careers. I've, I've tried many things. And it, it, in the end, it always goes back to the fact I've been trying to force myself, you know, when I did work for somebody else, trying to fit this square peg in a round hole or vice versa. And it, it never fit. Cause I, I finally, <laughs> finally, finally understand that I'm just, I'm an entrepreneur. That's what I am. I'm, I'm not an employee mm. and whether it's with languages or any other passion, I, I really think that you have to be true to yourself and be honest with who you are and what you want. Mm. And not everyone's meant to be, an office worker, some are, and that's fine too. There's nothing wrong. You know, there's no a hierarchy here of, of mm. jobs or careers. I just think for those that are an entrepreneur, you have to honor that and you have to follow that. As Joseph Campbell would say, you know, follow the call to adventure, follow mm. your, follow that path to bliss, whatever that is for you. And don't feel like just because your parents expect you to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever that you, you do the safe thing. Cause there is no safe thing. You know, there is no safe career anymore. This idea that there are, that entrepreneurship is somehow risky. Mm. You know, my wife and I talk about this a lot recently during this whole COVID crisis that mm. we're actually, because of how we've engineered our lives, we're very anti-fragile. Yeah. You know, we're already used to working from home because we already had been. We mm. don't, we don't depend on an employer to provide us, you know, income to then live, you know, yes, it's less predictable, but it's less fragile and the with a traditional job yes you have income every month but it's capped Mm. whereas with entrepreneurship no there's no guaranteed income but there's no cap right the sky's the limit really yeah 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 i am sometimes surprised but because there's still lots of people out there who don't understand how it works do understand that you can make a lot of money online even with a language blog or a YouTube channel. Right. Like the day before yesterday, I was talking to a friend who I actually also had on the podcast uh, a while ago. And he's doing like 30 grand every single month. Amazing. And, and people, people don't, don't realize that. You never know. Yeah. You see their website and you think it's just a website. Like how, how could they be doing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I hope for all the listeners who are listening and who think, is this, you know, is this thing real? Yes, it, it is real. It is. Yeah. And, um, well, as John said, it's not easy in the beginning. I mean, you need to create, you need to build an audience. You need to create a product. You need to figure out how, how, how all this stuff works, right? right. Starting a podcast, a website, sales, yeah. you need to learn all those basics. But once you have it, it's actually quite stable because right. even during a pandemic, uh, revenue goes up, right? I mean, that's why right. 
right yeah it's interesting because you know my whole thing is teaching people how they can create an immersion for themselves at home and that's what i've been doing now for years and it's it's interesting that now during the current situation it's it's more apt than ever uh couldn't couldn't have planned it better if i tried um Mm -hmm. but one of the things i would add there to the entrepreneurship side of things is again the importance of patience and Mm. yes there's massive potential and upside i think if you do things right and even get things wrong as i have a lot of things wrong but -hmm. it still takes time and i that's another mistake that i i've made a few times is i i got inspired quit a job jumped in with both feet into building my own thing without runway Mm. And that puts a lot of stress on yourself and on the business. Yeah. And I think it, I forget the guy's name, um, but he talks about not putting too much stress or pressure on your art. Mm. You know, do something for money and then do something for love. Yeah. And so those that maybe are listening and are inspired to start to become a langpreneur, start a, start a business. If you do already have a job, I think it is probably prudent to, if you can keep that job and start building up your language yeah. business on the side until yeah. it reaches a certain velocity. And then you can go full time on that. I, uh, for probably just my personality again, I'm a, I'm a whole asser. So yeah. I, in the past I, I would just jump with both feet and hope that I would have a parachute when I was yeah. falling. And uh, sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because you need to, I mean, building an audience and, and I mean, building a language business in general, it takes, it takes time, right? Especially if you want to, uh, if you want to sell online courses, for example, you need to have an audience without an audience and right. who's going to buy your stuff and it takes time to build. And I know lots of stories of, of langpreneurs who started their language business on the side. Mm-hmm. They work during the day, but then they spend a few hours every single day, uh, every single week working on their blog. And right. once your revenue reaches the stage where you make about half of what you make from your day job, you know, that could be a good moment right. to ask yourself, hey, what would happen if I go, if I go all in with this? Exactly. Um, the other advantages of doing it that way is along that process, you can also start getting your expenses and spending down. You know, you can, get, you can get your burn rate as low as possible, which is yeah. going to be very helpful, make you less fragile once you do decide mm-hmm. to jump in with both feet and into entrepreneurship. And you can experiment and test with, is this actually a life and a business that you want? Yeah. But I think a lot of people have this idea that, of what entrepreneurship is. There's a very sexy version of what it is, of sitting on a beach with a laptop when in reality, you know, you can't see the screen because of the sun and you get standing on the keyboard. <laughs> exactly. and no one actually, sweating. right. You're sweating. Yeah, exactly. It's noisy and you have no Wi-Fi. Anyway, yeah. right. That's not reality. Reality is usually it's you're sitting in your hotel room in some foreign land and uh, you never go outside because you're so busy running the business. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, experimenting with the lifestyle and, do you have the discipline, for example, to put in those three or four hours every day after your other job? It's mm-hmm. a really good test to know whether entrepreneurship in general and this specific idea you have is, is worth doing and something you want to actually do and stick with. Mm. Thanks for sharing that, uh, John. Um, so what can we expect from language mastery in the near future? Hopefully a lot. I, I have a lot of uh, exciting ideas and projects in the works. Um, of course the challenge is you can't do it all. You have to pick one or two things to focus on. Mm. Um, probably one of the next things coming, I think is going to be a course version of master Japanese Yeah, with videos and much, much more step-by-step handholding to guide people through that, mm-hmm. uh, how to set up the emerging environment, how to choose your resources. Um, that's actually going back to what I would do differently. The question mm-hmm. there, that would be one of those things. I, I think I would have done a course a lot earlier on instead of yeah. having it in a digital book format. I think yeah. the, the bite-sized nature of a course, I think is a lot, a lot more mm-hmm. user-friendly. Yeah. And then you can also sell it for a higher price, right? Exactly. That too. Great. So, well, 
this is a podcast, so that means that our listeners, they like listening to podcasts. You run a podcast as well. Where can people go to uh, find your podcast? Or how can they find your podcast? Sure. Uh, so it's available on all the major podcast apps, or you can go to languagemastery.com slash show. Mm-hmm. And there's links to all the episodes, show notes, and also you can subscribe in the different podcast apps. I have links there. Uh, languagemastery.com, that's just my main blog and website. I have a free seven-day email course for those that are learning Japanese. Mm-hmm. But even those learning other languages, a lot of the content is universal, I think, to almost any language. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, stay tuned for more on my YouTube channel, I hope, once I you know, figure out exactly what I want to do with it. I'm still kind of figuring out uh, how best to differentiate myself and be myself in, in that format. So cool. stay tuned. We will be following you. John, thank you very much for this interview. Looking forward to talking to you, to you next time. Thank you, Jan, for having me. It's an honor. Want to learn how you can grow your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events? Then go to our website, langpreneur.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.